0: To giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be looking at verse 19. Mr. Bill, I'm humming, brother. There we go. All right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Are you there in your word? Amen. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, there will be uh, the word of God on the screen. Also, um, uh, there's a hardback black pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you. If you grab that one and uh, open it up. If you don't own a Bible, please let that be our gift to you. We'd sure appreciate it. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray one last time as we Uh, come into this most holy moment with God in his word. Father, your word is life to us. And that's what Jesus, you said to the disciples in John chapter six, when you had preached a hard message and you said lots of people were leaving and you looked at the disciples and you said, are you going to leave me too? And I can't remember which one, maybe Peter. He said, where would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. And this morning, we agree with that. That you have the words of eternal life. And so, Father, we come to you in prayer asking that your word would penetrate our heart and like Hebrews 4 teaches us that it would be sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting and dividing discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, exposing us and leading us back to health and life and vibrancy. Lord, we need you and we love you and we pray, Father, that you would come and move upon us and Holy Spirit, that you would bring about conviction in our lives and make us more like Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so let me just catch you up on where we are as, as we kind of adjust, make some adjustments here. Let me catch you up on where we are. Um, we have been for the last eight weeks in our vision series. And for eight weeks, we preached about who God has called us to be. And if you missed those eight weeks or some of them, you can go on to our website, SenecaBaptist.org, and you can listen to those. Or you can go on our podcast. I don't know if you knew that, but we have one of those fancy thingies called a podcast. And you can go there and find it, Seneca Baptist. And, and um, you can listen and catch up on all of those uh, sermons. But this, that was who God's called us to be. And as a church family, we have been spending eight weeks on that. And God has been doing some incredible things among us during those eight weeks. Amen. Um, we have seen um, over the last two months, uh, I think it's 13 or 14 professions of faith, um, both here and out around us in our community as we've been uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, Those baptisms make nine baptisms um, that we've had in the last three weeks. And church family, aren't we just so excited what God's doing among us? I'm overwhelmed. And just sitting here, uh, this is the first time I think I've ever watched a baptism in this church from there, from the stage. I've always been in there, and I'm so thankful for Jackson um, that... Yeah, we can can praise God for Jackson. I love that guy. Um, But I'm so thankful for him stepping in and baptizing folks and, and, and just seeing God bring to fruition a vision that he's set in our hearts. That God's word, we found out this summer that God's word is still powerful to save us it's it's saving people to this day and that's just so exciting and i can't get past it it's just an amazing thought and so we've been looking at who god's called us to be and now up on the screen i believe we have our mission and our strategy and so i just want to remind us of that i'm not going to go through all eight weeks but our mission as a church is to help every person become a more devoted disciple of jesus and so if this is your first time ever in church You're welcome. You're in good company. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. We are all works in progress and we're all little by little, day by day, through good days and bad days, being made more like Christ. And so that's what we exist for. And we do that by three terms, three D's that we say. We declare, we disciple, and we deploy. We declare the gospel, we disciple the believer, and we deploy the church and we deploy the church into the community to what? Declare the gospel, to disciple the believer, and to deploy those folks back into their community. And so this is just a cycle of. And so that's why we exist. And so I've been praying for a little while about what to do after those eight weeks of vision. And I just felt inclined uh, uh, to come into a moment where we remind ourselves of what it means to be a part of a church family, what it means to be a part of a church family, and, and we believe uh, kind of the, the series that we'll be in for the next five weeks is Membership Matters. Membership Matters. And so I remember getting to, uh, in, into the Baptist Church for the first time ever. I'm pastoring Bayview Baptist Church in um, Columbia, South Carolina on Two Notch Road. And uh, what's funny is uh, the Wiggins were married in that church, right? Is that correct? I didn't marry them, of course, but, um, but they were married in that church. And so we have some past history together. Um, but I, Bayview Baptist Church. And I remember the first time, as the pastor of Bayview Baptist Church, somebody walked down the aisle and said, I want to join the church today. What was interesting about it that day is they, I, they had never been to church before. I had never seen this person in my life. And all I remember thinking to myself is, I have uh, three verses and a chorus to find out everything I can about this person's soul in the three minutes of the closing invitation hymn. Do you remember that? And so I remember them walking down the aisle, and, and, and they come down the aisle, and, and I, I say, okay, do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Uh-huh. Okay. Great. All right, that's step one. Um, do, do, have you ever been baptized? Yep. Okay. Step two. All right. Um, well, I... I guess you're in, right? That, that was all there uh, that, that, that I knew to do at that moment. And I remember on that day thinking, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way. Because in Hebrews chapter 13, it talks about how as a pastor, I'm an overseer of souls. And that's a terrifying thought. It, it actually says that one day I'll stand before the Father to give account for souls, the souls of people that um, are brought to Seneca Baptist Church. And that is a beautiful thought and a terrifying thought. And, and I felt like I, I would need more than um, three verses of an old hymn to find out about somebody's life before I would be tasked to oversee or to care for this person's soul. And so there but in my heart just began this thought of there's got to be more to church membership than walking an aisle and right here in front of the church um, answering two questions and saying check and so as we met with our strategy team back in 2019 we began to pray about what does it mean to be a part of our church family what what would what would be expectations and I remember there was this, there's this sweet lady, a member of our church, she's not able to come all the time, but she listens faithfully, um, Miss Kathy Moss, and she is just a praying woman. And every time we as a, 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 a strategy team would come to a place where there was a, a predicament that we were trying to address, she would say, this was her phrase, that's just the discipleship problem. That's just a discipleship problem. And her phrase was, we just need to raise the bar. The bar needs to be raised. We need to bring people up. And that was kind of what we thought about church membership. And so in the culture that we live in, church membership is not very meaningful. But the Bible that I read seems to indicate that church membership is meaningful. It's very meaningful. And so we don't need to dumb membership down, but we need to raise people up. And so that's what we began to think through. And the strategy team uh, came up with Five Expectations of a Church Member, and so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at those things, those expectations, and talk about them all from Scripture. Now, if you're with us on Wednesday nights, this is a sermon or a text that is going to be familiar. I, I preached through this text just a couple weeks ago on Wednesday and, and um, knew that I was going to be coming back in here. Okay, so here's the things that I want you to see, and here's what we're talking about today. So here are five expectations, okay? We're going to address number one today, but five expectations. If you're looking to become a church member here at Seneca Baptist, these are the five things that we expect of everyone who is a member. Number one is worship attendance. We expect you to come, and that might seem like a duh statement, but it's not, okay? We expect those who are church members to Come and be a part. And we're going to talk about the why behind it in a moment. Number two is Sunday school participation. Here's why. Because in a church even our size, you can walk in, you can sit somewhere, you can not speak to a whole lot of people, and as soon as the last song's over, you can make a beeline for the back door. And even in a church our size, which is not a a large church, you can hide. You can not be known. But in Sunday school, a large church gets small. It's where family comes together. It's where relationships are built. It's where teaching happens. It's where growth happens. It's just an amazing place. And so if you're a part of our church or not yet a part of our church, we want you to come and be a part of Sunday school. It is a very vital part of our church. Three, generosity. Now, in generosity, I do intend to talk about money, but generosity is not just about money. You've probably never heard me stand up and talk about tithing from the pulpit. You might say, well, I wonder why that is. Because you can tithe, um, let's say the Lord blessed me with $100, I can tithe 10 of those $100, and I can tithe, and I can do it and go, all the church wants is my money. Hate giving like this. I just feel guilty, and I can do a tithe with my heart not attached to it. But generosity doesn't seek for a certain amount of money. Generosity is coming for your heart. And when God has your heart, He'll have everything that belongs to you. And that's what God's after. He's not after your money. As if God were sitting up in heaven going, He's looking at His checkbook balance and going, I just don't know how I'm going to make it this month. No, He doesn't want something from us, but He wants something for us. And so that's generosity. Service is number four. We believe everybody who comes to Seneca Baptist Church and locks arms to, is here to do ministry. And some of you guys are missing out on the blessing of ministry because you come and you go. Come get plugged in. You say, Ryan, this health uh, problem in my life doesn't allow me. Let me tell you, we have a prayer ministry, and the most powerful, effective thing we can do as believers is to call on an almighty God call on him and so you can pray and we need you there and lastly we ask people to affirm the baptist faith and message and that might seem like a wonky thing to do in this world because theology is not very important is it and i would just say to you theology is of utmost importance and we're going to talk about that right now okay so hebrews chapter 10 Now, you wonder, Hebrews chapter 10, there's 10 chapters. What are the first 10 chapters? Let me give you a rundown real fast of the first 10 chapters. And this is going to be a recap for you if you're here with us on Wednesdays. But Hebrews is a book that you could subtitle that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. In chapter 1, Jesus is greater than angels. He's got a better message. Chapter 2, he has a greater redemption, a better redemption. A better redemption than Moses did back in... in Egypt. He's got a better redemption. Chapter 3, in fact, he's better than Moses, and that's the comparison that's being made. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, it talks about how Jesus offers to his people a better rest than Moses offered to his people and Joshua offered to his people. The rest that we have in Christ is better than the promised land of Canaan, and it's better even, even than the the promised land that we're looking to. This rest that we have in Jesus is absolutely outstanding and powerful, and we get to come into it right now. In chapter 4, from verse uh, 13, 14, I think it is, all the way down um, to chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, it talks about how Jesus is a greater high priest. A greater high priest. That Jesus mediates... On behalf of sinful man as a perfect son of God and savior of the world. He mediates. In chapter 8, he mediates a better covenant. In chapter 9, he mediates a better covenant in better place. In chapter 9 and chapter 10, Jesus is a greater high priest who mediates a better covenant. He mediates that covenant in a better place. The holy of holies, heaven itself. And he offers better sacrifices for sinners. And it's the one true sacrifice of himself on the cross that Christ died for sinners securing an eternal salvation and so Jesus this is how Jesus is revealed to us in chapters 1 through chapter the beginning of chapter 10 and then in chapter 10 19 it takes a turn and this is the first time in all of the book of Hebrews that it goes from theology to being practical or practical living this is how all of the ten chapters of theology are now lived out in our lives. And you might say to me, Well, Pastor, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't think that, that, that theology was very important. And I want you to know that the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews and Romans would highly disagree with you. Theology is of utmost importance. What we believe matters. Because what I believe here will change the way I think, the way I believe, I value things in the way I live in the world that, that God has placed us in. Are you with me? So if I believe wrongly, what's going to happen? I'm going to begin to live uh, improperly. But if I believe the right things about God, then all of what's under me will begin to come into that belief. So theology is of utmost importance, and the author of Hebrews would um, flesh that out for us in the church, and it should affect our daily life. And so here's where I want you to go. Verse 24 and 25. Verse 24, 25, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together. Now, I want you to see it right there. So the early church, way back when, gathered together. And you can see that in the very beginning of Acts chapter 2. That the church gathered together. And so the encouragement based on all of who Jesus is, is not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as the day draws near. All the more. Now, here's what I want you to see. In the text, this word not neglecting is a very powerful word. It's a, not neglecting seems very subtle to us but the word is used in a number of different ways throughout the Old and New Testament. So in the Old Testament, um, Psalm chapter 16, this is how the word that David uses when he says God will not abandon the Messiah in the grave, but He'll raise Him up. So the author of Hebrews is saying don't abandon the gathering. Don't abandon the gathering. Paul said in One of his letters, I think it was one of the pastoral epistles, he said that someone has deserted me. Someone has deserted me. And and this is the same word. So the author of Hebrews would say, don't desert the gathering. Don't desert it. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 13, God will never leave us and he won't forsake us. And it's the same word. And so we shouldn't leave or forsake the gathering because gathering is important. Worship attendance is important. And on the cross, maybe the most famous time of all, when Jesus cries out and He says, My God, My God, why have You what? Forsaken Me. It's the same word. And so we're instructed in Hebrews chapter 10 not neglecting to meet together. Don't desert it. Don't abandon it. Don't forsake it. Don't leave it. He says don't neglect the gathering. Now, in the... um, version that I'm reading chapter 10 verse 25 says not neglecting to meet together and it almost makes it a verb it almost makes it a verb but in fact it is a noun and so it would best be translated the meeting or the gathering and it's used in another very important place a very important place now in second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 it uses the same word and the word is, the, the, the Greek word, synagogue, which is where we get the idea of synagogue. It was the meeting place. And then the, they put this little preposition on the front of it. It says epi, epi synagogue epi and it's the full gathering, the full gathering. And so this is what it says, and it's talking about the time when Jesus is going to come back for his own And Paul says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to Him. Now here's my question, church family. Lean in, look at me, wake up. So the question is this. When Jesus comes the second time for His bride, which one of God's elect or God's children, which one is He going to forsake, neglect, or leave behind? None of them. None of them. And it's the same idea. The gathering is not just a gathering of some people, but it's supposed to be the complete gathering of God's children. And so the idea in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, is not neglecting the complete gathering of God's children. A complete gathering of God's children. When Jesus returns, it will be a complete collection. He won't leave one out. Now, let's be real for a second. A lot of us, a lot of us in our culture that we live in, we think too lightly about church. Uh, Maybe you've heard some of these excuses like I have. You've heard somebody say, well, I don't need to go to church to be saved. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Now, it's true, isn't it? Because the thief on the cross never made it to First Baptist Jerusalem. Amen? He never made it there. Thief on the cross... Had his name on no church roll, so it's not necessary for salvation. It's not, right? I also heard. I think it was Tony Evans. He said, "But you don't. you 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 also don't have to go home to be married, but you do need to go home to have a good marriage." So, the idea of this. Is is no, you don't need it to be a Christian, but to be a successful one, you do. To be one like God would desire for you, you sure do need to be a part of a church family. See, you can't be an obedient Christian apart from going to church, because we we forget that Jesus died to bring us into the church. Uh, somebody, I heard, I saw this the other day. Somebody said, "Well." Jesus didn't start the church. His disciples did. And I, I, I just was reminded of Matthew chapter 16 when he said, "Up On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus, at Jesus' heart, in his crucifixion and his resurrection, was the church. He had it in mind. And we need it. We need it. He died to bring us in there. And don't neglect what Jesus died to purchase. Now, I hear people say stuff like this. Well, I'm not a part of a congregation. I'm a part of the Big C Church. And my question, well, that's great. But my question is, when was the last time the Big C Church, when you were sick, brought you a meal? When was the last time the Big C Church called you? Came to visit you? Encouraged you? Because local congregations do that or people that are in local congregations do that how about this one i love jesus but the church is full of hypocrites you ever heard that and i would, to that i would say well amen we are a bunch of hypocrites and jesus day by day is trying to make us less hypocritical than we were the day before it's called sanctification he's making us more like christ i've even heard somebody say well i love jesus but i hate the church Church has hurt people, hasn't it? People have been wounded and battered. Some, somebody maybe in this room has had a bad time with church people. So they would say something like, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And that would be like you coming over to my house for dinner and you, you would look at me and say, I love you, but I hate your wife. After picking you up off the floor... I would ask you to leave. Because the church is, in fact, the bride of Christ. So you you can't. It's impossible. Now, I want you also to remember who had bad experiences with religious people. His name was Jesus. didn't stop him, did it? So we need the church. We need it. The the pandemic. The pandemic brought about some excuses. Church became optional. Why? Because I can watch it on Facebook. Now, praise the Lord for Facebook. But watching something online is not a a replacement for in-person attendance. It's not. And here's why. It's because we have misunderstood. Look at me right here. It's because we've misunderstood um, salvation. Now, we talked about this a couple Wednesday nights ago. Now, your salvation is personal. It is. But your salvation is not private. Your salvation is personal, and you've got to make sure that your soul is saved and that you have a relationship with Jesus, and there's nobody in any church that can do that for you, but your salvation is not individualistic. In every place in the Bible, when it talks about what you're saved from, you're saved from death, you're saved from hell, you're saved from sin, you're saved from slavery, you're saved from punishment, you're saved from wrath, you're saved from all those things. And isn't that good news? Praise the Lord that through Jesus, Jesus takes the full wrath of God, punishment of God, all of our sin, all of God's righteous anger upon himself, and we're saved from that slavery. But it also reveals that we're saved from something into something. We're always saved from sin, from death, from something into the family of God. Into the body of Christ. Now, are these things, when we're saved from something into something, the family is not individualistic. The body is not individualistic. It's all about the corporate gathering. The body is a gathering. We're saved into the bride of Christ. We're saved from the the bramble bush into the vine of Christ. All of these corporate examples that we're saved from something into a group of people, into the gathering that we call the church. We are saved from something into something. And, And maybe at that moment you would say, well, I've never thought about church membership, but is church membership biblical? Is it biblical? And I I think it is, and I think the Scriptures reveal that in a few ways. Husband, wife, family, body, many members, but also back in Acts chapter 6, there was a group of widows being overlooked by another group of widows. And so what the early church did was they made sure that every group of widows was being cared for and taken care of. And I just I have a question. If, if there was not a role of widows somewhere, how did they know who to care for? How did they know who belonged to the church? And, and even in First Timothy, it talks about enrolling certain widows so that the church might care for them and love them. Have you read Paul's epistles at the end of his letter, uh, the book of Romans? He just greets all these people. It's like a list, and we see this idea all through the New Testament that we are all a part of something that's bigger than us. We're all a part of something that is alive and moving and breathing, and God would say, this is my church, and I've Saved you from something into something. So, let's dive in real quickly. I'm going to make these points briefly. So, what's the reason for this instruction? The reason for this instruction, let's look down at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, in 19, 20, and 21, there are two senses. Since, S-I-N-C-E. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh. Hey, listen to me, church family. For the first time in human history, we have the ability to come into the very presence of the holy God in the most holy place. I don't need a priest. I don't need somebody to offer sacrifices for me. I don't have to uh, be separated from God through a veil or a curtain in the temple. I can come into the holy of holies. Why? Why? Because Jesus has made a way for you and for me. And when he died on the cross and said it is finished, the earth quaked and the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom in two. And that was our entrance into the most holy place. And therefore, since that's happened. And in verse 21, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So here's why. Why? We gather. Here's the heart behind this instruction of not neglecting the gathering because Jesus has opened a way for us into the holy places and because he is our great high priest who ministers on our behalf every day with the best sacrifice known to man that he himself was the Lamb of God that became, or the the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. He mediates on our behalf. He intercedes on our behalf. What is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for you. He's standing at the right hand of God the Father, and He is interceding on your behalf as a child of God, moment by moment, day by day, calling your name out before the Father. He says, since we have confidence, since we have a great high priest, there are three let us's. Three let us's. Not let us, but let us. All right? Verse... Let's look the next one. I'm sorry. Verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. We have access for the first time in human history. We can come before the throne of God. Let us draw near with a true heart. Look at me, church family. The problem with the Old Testament Levitical system is that sacrifices of turtle doves and lambs and goats and bulls and rams and grain offerings and drink offerings and those things, they could not change our heart. But for the first time in human history, because of what Christ has done, His sacrifice has not changed us from the outside in, but from the inside out. And He says, now we can let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what Christ has done for us. So He says, let us. Did you notice He didn't say you? Singular. Hey, you do this and you do this. What's the... After all of this theology, it becomes corporate. Let us draw near. And so when we come to church together, this is what we're doing. We are corporately drawing near to God to seek Him. The second thing we do is found in verse 23. It's a place, the gathering is a place where we teach and uphold the confession of our hope. Where we teach and uphold the confession of our hope. Let's read verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. When we gather together, we are gathering to hold fast the confession of our hope. His name is Jesus. It says without wavering. Without wavering. I have a question. Why do you think in the New Testament um, the author of Hebrews says without wavering? It's because we're tempted to do what? To waver. Now, I don't know about you, but any... 365 times in the Bible it says do not fear. Why does God give us that command 365 times? It's because we are tempted to do what? To fear. And here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he tells us we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because when when lows come in our life, when tragedy comes, when something strikes our life, tribulations come, we're tempted to waver. And the author of Hebrews says, we gather to uphold, teach and uphold the confession of our hope without wavering. So when we sing, come we who love the Lord. We're singing. Draw me. Draw us nearer. We're drawing together. We're encouraging one another. In Christ alone my hope is found. No guilt in life, no fear in death. We are singing and preaching to encourage you who are wavering at this moment. You're wavering this week, I'm going to be wavering next week, somebody else is going to be wavering in the weeks to come, and we sing and we preach and we meet together and we study God's Word in Sunday school. Why? To encourage the wavering. We hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, and then it says this little phrase, for he who promised is faithful. I want to remind you of something. That your salvation is not based on the grip of your faith onto God, but rather on the grip of God's hand onto your life. Now, follow me for a second. You may have heard this illustration, but it's too good not to use again. When I, we're, we're going in about a week, um, a week from today in the afternoon, we're going to head to the beach, and it's our last hurrah before school starts, and we go to the beach and and uh, the, the boys love the bigger waves, because the bigger the waves are, the more you can boogie board, right? And Ella is timid. But I, I remember um, the first time ever walking a child out into the waves, and the, those little waves would splash up on the child's legs, and the child would go, deeper, Daddy, deeper. Okay, and so you'd kind of ease out a little deeper into the water, and then those waves would be splashing up against their belly, Right? And, and the child would be giggling and having a blast, deeper, daddy, deeper. So he'd wade out a little further into the water. And what always happens in my life is there's that rogue wave that's 97 feet tall that's coming for you. It's barreling down on you right now. And what goes it, it, it goes from joy and giggling and laughter to, oh no, I'm going to kill my child right now. Right? And, and that whole time... My child's been gripping onto my hand. But when I see that wave coming for my child, what do I do as the father? I grab hold of my child with everything that I have. And it's my grip on their hand that keeps them safe, not their grip on my hand. And so is true that your faith does not find its resting place on the intensity of how strong your faith can be, but rather your faith finds a resting place on how faithful Jesus is. That He did everything necessary. And so we can hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For He who promised is faithful. That even when we're faithless, He's faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. Our God is anything but a liar. So, when we gather, the first thing that we do, it's a place where we corporately draw near. The second thing, it's where we corporately... Hold fast, teach and uphold the confession of our hope. And third, the third thing that we do when we gather is we are participating in the sanctification of one another. It's a place where we're sanctified. Look down in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We stir one another up. Not like two brothers who are sitting in the back seat too close to each other who are constantly poking and prodding. Not provoking in a negative sense, but provoking in a positive sense. We provoke one another and stir up one another's lives to good deeds, to growing in Christ's likeness, to drawing near, to getting in the Word, to studying the Word, to knowing Jesus. We provoke one another... And we do this through worship attendance, through the gathering. And each one of those three statements is let us, let us, and let us. So, for all of what Christ has done for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection, the first practical points in all of the book of Hebrews are when you gather, this is what we gather for. This is why we're gathering. It's a place where we draw near. We seek the Lord. It's a place where we teach and uphold the confession of our hope. It's a place where we're sanctified. Now, here's the problem with church. Have you ever been a part of a church where people rubbed you the wrong way? No, of course not, right? Why would God allow people to rub you the wrong way in church? Because that's how He rubs the burrs off of us how He sands us down and makes us smooth. We are a work in progress. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are God's masterpiece that He is working on and you have been recreated in Christ and day by day He is working to smooth you down, to rub you down, and to make you beautiful after Christ's image. And we do that sometimes by disagreeing over things in church. By seeing things from different perspectives. By rubbing each other the wrong way. You've heard about sandpaper people. It's because I've got burrs. I've got rough spots. And we all need to be sanded. So we participate in sanctifying one another. So I want to ask these three questions as we close. As we close our day, as we kind of end this day one of what does it mean to be a member of Seneca Baptist or what does it mean to be a part of God's family? Because I don't think this is just about Seneca Baptist. I think this is a part of every church. What does it mean to be a Christian? Number one, it it does mean that we gather for worship. You find it all through Scripture that they were gathered on the Lord's day. And that's why we gather. Here are my three questions for you. Number one, how does your view of the church affect your membership? How has your view of the church affected your membership? If I think positively about the church, it's going to drive my desire to be a part of God's church, if I think poorly of the church, or I have a low view of the church, or I think that church is not very important, I'm not going to have a high view or a desire to go. Number two, parents. some parents here. What what kind of seeds are we sowing into our children's lives about church and its priority? What kind of seeds are we sowing? Because we are. Intentionally or unintentionally, we're giving priorities. And three, is worship attendance in this passage about our preferences or is it about others? Or others' growth? And I think we see very clearly that it's not about us, but it's about others. So, As we finish our time today, we have gathered. And Miss Margaret, would you come forward for us? We've gathered and we've worshipped and we've celebrated new life in Christ. We have rejoiced over four lives who have made professions of faith. We have sung to the Lord. We've magnified the name above all names. We have corporately drawn near. We've upheld the confession of our hope. And by God's grace, we're going to leave different than when we came in. Some of us, when you think about your membership status at Seneca Baptist or just as a part of God's church, some of us, we might have a couple of these expectations. We're doing this one well and this one well, but we're not doing this one well. So I just want to challenge you this morning Where are you? What area do you need to grow in? What would God be pointing you to? How would God be encouraging you to take the next step? Maybe you're not a part of a church family anywhere. I mean, you've been sitting out there as a guest for a really long time, but maybe it's time to take the next step to church membership. And we'd love to walk with you that next step. And let me tell you, if you walk down the aisle today, I'm not making you a member of the church on this day. I want to know you. I want to hear your story. I want to hear of your salvation. And I want to be able to say to the best of my ability, I know this person has a relationship with God through Jesus. And maybe that's your next step. You're out there today and you say, Ryan, I'm not sure where I would go today if I died. You can seal that deal today by placing your faith in Jesus, who is our merciful and great High Priest, who has laid down His life for you. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes with me? And would you just kind of draw near to the Lord? Let's, let's do that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed what's your next step is your next step the first step I want to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you can do that today heads are bowed and eyes are closed if that's you I want to get saved today by placing my faith in Christ would you just slide up a hand that's me pastor I need Jesus Maybe you're out there today and and you just say, I need to take the next step toward membership. I've been sitting too long. Or I've not been doing as a member what I ought to be doing, what the scriptures would encourage me. Maybe that's your next step. And maybe you just don't have a church home. Come. Be a part. Father, work in our hearts as we sing. Speak to us. Don't let this most holy moment pass us by. Teach us, Lord. Grant us your grace. We do pray in your name. Everybody said, Amen.